Seeing the signs. Seeing the signs. If you're driving in your car and the light comes on that says, check engine. Now, if you're like half of the people in the world, you just ignore it and carry on going. But that check engine light is your friend, they tell us. It tells you that there's a problem. You can't see the problem. You may not be able to hear the problem. You might otherwise never be able to perceive the problem. But the check engine light says to you, there's an issue. Maybe beneath the scenes or behind the scenes, you see. The light tells you that everything isn't as it should be. If you are driving down the road and it is minus two or minus three degrees and you see a sign that says bridge freezes before roadway, well, you know that you better slow down. That sign is your friend. It's telling you about a reality. It's there to help you, you see. The sign is there to help you. So that's the check engine light, and I think I spoke about that a moment ago, so there's not a lot of point repeating that. There we go. That's a delightful picture. This is intended to be a documentary-style picture, but I'm going to speak about something really awful. I got an email recently uh, from a friend of mine in another time zone. This is back in the United States, and she said, did you hear about the shooting in Christchurch? And I had not. And to learn, to learn about that was, was just really difficult. She emailed me back and she said, was your family affected? I said, they're all my family. You know what became really hard to swallow later is that it became very evident that people had missed warning signs indicating that the man in question was a troubled being or was simply put trouble there were warning signs lots of them and no one acted on the warning sign and that was difficult you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you that you have an issue maybe maybe let's say you have a fever of temperature high temperature that temperature is telling you that you're unwell there's something going on in your body you may be unaware of that the temperature says ah we're fighting an infection in here doctor might look into your eyes and say ah, I see a problem with that I have a family member whose baby boy was was ill that was showing symptoms no one knew quite what it was took the doctor to the emergency room at the hospital and while one, did I say took the doctor? I'm glad you're listening. Took the baby to see a physician at the emergency room in the hospital. And the doctor was doing an examination on this child, maybe a year old, maybe younger. When another doctor walked into the room, just to look at what was happening, stopped and said, why is that baby breathing like that? First doctor hadn't seen it. Breathing like what? She said, get that baby down to some other room. Immediately, there's a major problem. There was. It was a life-threatening problem. The child would have been dead in two or three weeks. First doctor missed it. Next doctor saw the sign. It's really important 
that we see the signs. It's important. Tonight, we're going to consider signs, signs of which Jesus spoke, signs that are found, spoken of in the Holy Bible, important signs. We live in a troubled world, a very troubled world. Weather disasters apparently, no, reportedly, are becoming more intense and more frequent. What is this telling us? What do the signs say? We, we live in a world that, that terrorism is just destroying. It was so interesting. Some years ago, was it 10 years, 12 years ago? I don't know. My son and I were walking through an airport, and I said to him, you know, boy, when I was you know, your age, we never had this kind of security. We didn't have these metal detectors, and we didn't have people checking your clothing and patting you down. He said to me, Dad, do you think we'll ever go back to how it used to be? What do you think? No, our way of life has been uh, irretrievably changed. Changed. Terrorism is a, is, a, is a fear now. You know, I was standing on the Westminster Bridge with my family, I don't know, was it two, three years ago? Two, 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 two years ago, I think it was. Standing on the Westminster Bridge, so you've got Big Ben and Parliament Building just right here. And it was about a week later that there was a report in the news that some crazy man in a vehicle had driven into people standing on the side of the Westminster Bridge. Terrorism takes on all kinds of forms today, and the world has been destabilized, and there is no going back, and we don't ever believe that one day it'll all be over and it'll all be harmony and peace and light. No way. It's too late in the history of the earth for that. Terrorism has changed our way of life, indicating that things just certainly are not how they used to be. Now, doesn't it make you wonder? It makes me wonder. People are sick, sicker than ever. In spite of this being the most advanced time scientifically, medically, in the history of our planet, we continue to get sick and sicker. The world is polluted. Crime rates are terrible. I wonder if this makes you wonder. I wonder if these signs shouldn't be telling us to consider that there might be something going on be behind the scenes, beneath the surface, like that check engine light. You see terrorism. Maybe that's suggesting that there's something going on behind the scenes. Yeah, maybe. I think we'll talk about that and, and expand upon that as we go by tonight. Maybe there's a little more to life than meets the eye. And so tonight, let's consider some of these signs. We'll go to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3, and Jesus introduces us to the subject. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? Jesus had just said to them something remarkable. They said, look at the buildings of the temple, how wonderful they are. The temple back then was indescribably beautiful. And where they were on the, where Jesus was now on the Mount of Olives, he had a perfect, a clear and unobstructed view of the temple and the temple buildings. And they were magnificent. And, and they said to him, 
tell us when will these things be? You have just said things are going to change in a major way. You have just said the temple will be destroyed. That's just unthinkable. So tell us when these things will be. Then what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They asked Jesus for a sign. What will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? Jesus would speak to them about this now. He started to tell them what it would be like in the world shortly before he returned. And this is a really important question. They said, what's it going to be like? And Jesus spoke to them about what the world would be like prior to his return, immediately prior to his return. And he would share with them signs. Now, as we go through this, I want you to keep one thing in mind. We're not talking dates and times now. It's okay to say soon. It's okay to say near. But no one's going to rush out of here and ring a date on a calendar. It is clear. uh, Jesus himself said, no one knows the day or the hour. And I've heard people say, no one knows, knows the day or the hour. However... No one knows the day or the hour. But if you look at it that way, no, no, no one knows the day or the hour, and that's all there is to it, and we will leave it there. So we're not going to try and, 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 and damage the plain statements of the Holy Bible. That just wouldn't be right. And so Jesus himself said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So that's clear. And so now he said to his disciples, You will hear of wars and of rumors of wars. Now, if we go back, there were 24 million people died during World War I. 60 million people died during World War II. And then there was Korea, and then there was Vietnam, and then there was the Gulf War, and then the Gulf War dragged on, and there's really still war over there, and there are wars uh, burning and bubbling away in numerous places around the world while we sit here in safety tonight. Jesus spoke to this, Jesus spoke to the disciples and he was talking to them about a sign of his coming, a sign of the end of the world. And he spoke about unrest, yea, verily, wars. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. And now we live in a war-torn time. We live in a war-torn world. Now, if you're in Australia, you're about a gazillion miles, or at least it feels like you're a gazillion miles away from war. It feels comfortable because this is a blessed place and we experience peace in this place. But other places, other parts of the world, no, not so much. You know, I was just in Bosnia and Herzegovina. That's one country not to just, I think it was last year. There's Syria as well. Is this, are we seeing a pattern here? Yeah. Could you rethink that, please? If you could rethink that. I was in Bosnia and Herzegovina just recently, and you can still see the damage in the buildings. Not all of the buildings. The Sarajevo roses, this is where mortar has exploded. They filled it in with red resin. It looks almost attractive, but that's in the most perverse way. And certainly there's Syria. I've just come back from Lebanon over the border from Syria, meeting Syrian refugees who told me about living in Aleppo but having to flee their country because war broke out in the street outside their house. We had a sniper in our street, the children were telling me. I met a nine-year-old girl. This family had just been accepted as refugees to sooner or later go and relocate in New Zealand. And the little girl said, all I want is my own bedroom and I want to be safe. Now, you might have said the same when you were a kid. All I want is my own bedroom. I said that for about 10 years. 
But I never did have to worry about being safe except for my uh, next oldest brother. That, but that's not the kind of safety this little girl was talking about. We live in a war-torn world, hard to imagine here, but in other places in the world, it's really, really easy to imagine. Now, the Bible speaks here, and Jesus went on and said in Matthew 24 and verse 32, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. When Jesus spoke about wars and rumors of wars, could he have been speaking about this day? Yes, he could. If he wasn't speaking about this day, it really makes you wonder what he had in mind if this day was not what he was thinking of. In verse 33, so you also, when you see these things, know that it is near even at the doors. It is clear that while God does not want us speculating or, 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 or prognosticating about the day or the hour, he certainly wants us to keep in view the, the nearness of the return of his son, Jesus. The signs mean something. What do they mean? Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but let's get to the end of the story. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 28, Jesus said this. Now, when these things begin to come to pass, look, uh, look up and lift up your head. Why? Because you're, tell me, because you're... Redemption draws nigh. It's important that we watch these things. Jesus said, even though it's something as dark, even though it's something as foreboding as wars and rumors of wars, you can know that your redemption draws nigh, and that's hopeful. So please know we aren't here tonight to talk about doom and gloom. We're here to talk about context, because if you read the Bible, it will tell you when you get to the book of Revelation that we have some real trouble coming. Armageddon, the seven last plagues spoken of in Revelation chapter 16. In Revelation chapter 13, Antichrist arises and people will not be able to buy and sell. It's not fi uh, science fiction at all. This is Bible prophecy. And so when you consider the fact that Daniel said there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. How do you get through that? Jesus said, when you see these signs, when you see these things, don't be downcast, don't be disconsolate, don't be discouraged. You can know that your redemption draws near, and that's about the best news that you could ever receive. Now, just a few years ago, the BBC, the news service in Great Britain, ran an article on their website. They entitled this thing, What caused the dark day. This is something that's nigh been forgotten, well nigh been forgotten. And perhaps because it was a phenomenon that took place in the United States, and so if you're outside the United States, it's easy to dismiss this or write it off. But on May the 19th in 1780, something interesting happened. And from that day to this, there have been people trying to figure out what it was that caused the dark day. But there's a reason they've not been able to. Here's what the BBC said. Look at this. Three centuries ago in parts of North America, a strange event turned morning to night. It remains wreathed in mystery. So what caused the dark day? Halfway through the morning, the sky turns yellow. Animals run for cover and darkness descends, causing people to light candles and start to pray. By lunchtime, night has fallen. Is it the end of the world? I'm having a hard time with this. I'm just going to tell you guys back there, this is uh, the, this slide advancer. 
Um, I'm not sure if it's me or if it's it or what, but uh, I'm just appealing to you there to keep this in mind. Well, it wasn't the end of the world, although people wondered if it might have been. But in what was a very young country, people were led to search their Bibles after the strange occurrence. What caused it? What caused the dark day? No, it wasn't a thick cloud. It wasn't a volcano. It wasn't anything. Are we switching out? It wasn't anything from a forest fire. Thank you. That was gracious of you. It wasn't anything that somebody could uh, attribute to a natural phenomenon. No forest fire was big enough to do that. What happened? Well, let's look in Matthew 24 and verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now, it's interesting. There was, well, it's tragic. There was a tremendous persecution during the Middle Ages, a time of tribulation. And right about that time, the persecution or tribulation time ended, this dark day occurred. It was a sign, clearly not that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, but a sign that in the big picture, God was beginning to wrap things up. It was a sign for people to take God seriously, to consider being ready, uh, not to live distant from God, not to leave the Bible out of the equation. You had the dark day and you had this fascinating thing. Listen, another sign. It was November of 1833. It is calculated that about 30 meteors per second were seen in the sky. 150,000 of them at all. One person said, the very heavens seemed to be ablaze. Being as the second great awakening was underway, a religious revival in the 19th century. One newspaper, the Pittsburgh Gazette, wrote, some say it looked as if the heavens were pouring down showers of fire. Others that it resembled the falling of brilliant and burning snow, not an occasional spit here and there, but as it would look in a storm, save only that the flakes flew in an opposite direction to the wind. Now, what did Jesus tell us? Now, when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your head. Why? Because your redemption draws near. God was shaking, gently prodding a, 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 a stupefied world. He was saying, you know what that is? This is mentioned in the Bible. And so why does that matter to you? Because the God of heaven would have you think about eternity. God would have you and succeeding generations realize that we're living on the edge of tomorrow, the tomorrow of eternity. These signs were given to arouse a sleeping world to spiritual realities. The reality of a God in heaven, the reality of a Jesus who will soon come to the earth, and the reality of earth's final and great crisis. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 7, there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. In the last decade alone, there have been at least a dozen famines or food crises affecting millions and millions of people. The United Nations says that one person in nine, that's better than 10%, doesn't get enough food to live a healthy, active life. If you're living in a place of comfort here in Australia, 100 kilograms of food is wasted per person per year. 220 pounds. That's a lot. 
But in other parts of the world, there is simply not enough food getting to the people who need it. One child dies every five seconds from hunger-related illnesses, while a third of all the food produced in the world is lost or wasted. When Jesus mentioned famines, he was speaking about a day that resembles the day in which we live. He talked of pestilences, disease epidemics. When Magic Johnson came down with AIDS a number of years ago, there were basketball players who refused to take the court with him. And you might remember that. Well, Magic Johnson is alive and well today, running a business empire. He just resigned from his position with the Los Angeles Lakers for, I don't know why. He's, mate, give us a break, eh? Today, you don't hear so much about AIDS. Even though, can you tell me how many, how many people die per year from AIDS? A million. Calculate how many people that is a day. I'll tell you how many it is. It's a lot, a lot. Jesus spoke about pestilences, disease epidemics, nothing good about that. And so we have the diseases such as AIDS. We forget diseases such as cancer. You know somebody with cancer. You know somebody who had a heart attack or died from heart disease. You know somebody dealing with diabetes. What in the world? 150 years ago, you wouldn't have known anyone who fell in any of those categories. And we speak of Jesus speaks of pestilences he had today in his sights. Add to that the new diseases. Ebola, terrifying disease which seems to come and go in Africa, but right now it's back in the Congo and places like it. And there's mad cow disease and there is SARS and avian flu and all these kinds of things. When Jesus spoke about pestilences, it seems he had a day in mind very much like ours. What if that's the case? If it's the case, then when they said to Jesus, tell us what it's going to be like in the end of the age, Jesus must have been saying something like 2019 is awfully close to the end of the age. Jesus spoke about illnesses and diseases and pestilences and trouble in this world, the likes of which... Well, we just sort of get used to it. We just do. And then in verse 7, he spoke about earthquakes as well. Jesus said, you can expect to see earthquakes in Earth's final days. If you don't live in an earthquake zone, and Australia, even taking into account what happened in Newcastle a few years ago, Australia, you typically think that here you're out of trouble. Across the Tasman, fairly and squarely in trouble. New Zealand sits on the Pacific Ring of Fire. New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, Japan, uh, eastern Russia, Alaska, down the California coast and so on into uh, even Central America to a degree. Massive earthquakes. One earthquake so big it measured 9.0 on the Richter scale recently moved an entire island in Japan six feet. The whole thing moved and caused a tsunami that swept away thousands upon thousands of people and caused hundreds of billions of dollars worth of damage. And now you can think about earthquakes in Iran and China and Chile and I mentioned New Zealand and other places. There was an earthquake in Haiti a few years ago. 220,000 people died as a result. The tsunami in Asia a number of years back, not that many years back, 
230,000 people did. We had never seen anything like it in our lives. Hurricanes Katrina and Rita, never seen before the scale, the damage, the relentlessness of the pounding of the weather, the loss of life in that part of the world. Never seen anything like it before. The worst ever. And you know what is interesting to me? People are starting to notice this. And I'm not referring simply to Christian believers. Non-Christians, unbelievers, the most secular people are starting to recognize this. According to a report in Britain's Guardian newspaper a year or two ago, many of the world's uber-rich, the filthy rich, not rich like the guy on your street or rich like you, Rich like Bill Gates and other people like him. Not Bill Gates particularly, but this is what The Guardian was saying. Many of the richest people in the world are eyeing New Zealand and buying up property because they believe the world is going to cease to function as they know it. And when that happens, they reckon they can get to New Zealand where it's safe, where it's civilized, I mean, to a degree where it's civilized, where pollution isn't an issue. Interesting, isn't it? These are not people who've been reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and are making some kind of spiritual preparation for the end of time. No, these are secular people with massive fortunes, and they are saying, we are looking at the world, and it's trending downwards. It's going bad. It's not getting better, to the extent that I might need to act. And should I need to act, I'm going to go to this place that I consider to be a safe place, that I consider to be a bit of a haven. I'm not recommending what they are saying. I'm not telling you they are right or wrong or that what they're doing is smart or otherwise. But secular people who don't read the Bible recognize it is no longer business as usual for planet Earth. There is change coming. Now, are there more signs? Yes, there are. Matthew 24 and verse 37. Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, that's clear. It will be in the end of time much like it was in the days of Noah. What was it like? Genesis 6 tells us. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only, tell me what? Evil continually. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, That's what it's going to be like down here in the close of time. What else? The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? Does it sound like the day in which we live? It does, doesn't it? As it was in the days of Noah, evil continually and filled with violence. Did you ever think that a man would take a gun and kill three dozen people on the island of Tasmania? Did you ever think that? And that's ancient history now. No one thought that that would happen. You might think it would take place in Detroit or Baltimore or Newark, New Jersey, but never Tasmania. Never. Did you ever think that someone would take a gun and explosives and kill 70 people in Norway? Norway. You've seen those same articles. The best places in the world to live. Norway's right up there. It's a really great place to live if you like winter. Because the winter go is like 13 months of the year is winter. I don't understand those, those things. I mean, San Diego, I think that would be better. 
Tonga. That would be better. A man in Norway, 70 people dead. Can you imagine that? No one ever imagined that in sleepy old Christchurch, New Zealand, 51 people now could be shot dead by a madman with weapons. And today, of course, the criminals are so sick that they're not content merely to commit the act. They want to broadcast it on Facebook or something so that the entire world can see. I, I, I can't even get my mind around that. Now, again, we're not talking about inner city violence. We're talking about violence in the least likely places. You cannot escape it now. That doesn't mean that you're going to become a victim. I don't mean to be alarmist. But you can't escape it. It's everywhere. Jesus said before he returned, the world would be filled with violence. Do you remember when this happened? Can you tell me where that was? Columbine, which is just outside of Denver in Colorado, 1999. And this happened and we said to ourselves, oh my goodness, kids with guns shot up a school. Now, I've got to be careful how I word this. I was going to say thankfully, but it's not the right word. This is not a phenomenon that uh, really affects Great Britain or Australia or New Zealand or Canada. It certainly affects the United States. When this occurred, people said, oh my, this is the end of the world. It's nothing can, we, we can't get worse than this. And now school shootings are in the most bizarre way a fact of life in the United States of America. And then a guy with a gun ascends a, a, a hotel building in, where was this? Uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and killed all kinds of people down there at a concert. Filled with violence. I think we are there. The scourge of terrorism. I think we're there. There's not a person in the world who believes that 9-11 could not happen again. Every time you catch a plane, you're reminded that life has changed, really changed. We had better hope that Jesus was talking about our day because if he wasn't, it means things must be bound to get even worse than they are now. And that's unthinkable. Now, you might say, now, John, hold on a minute. We've always had earthquakes. There was an earthquake when Jesus died. That's 2,000 years ago. We've always had famines. Have you never read the Old Testament? There were famines. Famines are plenty. There have been, been murderers. I mean, the, 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 the first two people who ever lived, they, gave, they brought a son into the world, and he was a murderer. Lamech, seven generations down, a murderer and an adulterer. We've always had problems, and I would say, you know, you're right. There have been famines, and there have been violence, and there's been pestilences, except this is not simply what Jesus was saying. When he referred to these things in Matthew 24, he said, all these are the beginning of what? The word is sorrows, but if you look at what that word really means, that's the English translation of a word that was originally written in Greek, and that word means birth pains. Now, we have an expert in birth pains in my family, and it's not me, it's my wife. <laughs> Wonderful human being brought two children into the world, our son and our daughter, but I learned a little bit about birth pains from having lived through the experience with my wife. And so here's what happened. She was great with child. I mean, ready to go any moment. And we went to bed. It was very late one night. And uh, I, I laid down to sleep and it wasn't quite so easy for my wife. And after about half an hour, she grabbed my arm and she said, I think this is it. And I did what any husband would do. And I said to her, hey, get some sleep, honey. You're going to need sleep. <laughs> it's 1.30 in the morning. Surely the best thing that you could do would be to get sleep. She, I mean, didn't see it my way for some strange reason. And then the contraction started, the birth pains. 
Now, I, I, I think I can probably only say this like a man. Uh, so I'll, I'll say this and hope that you hear me in the spirit in which I mean to be heard. When the birth pains begin, they're not nearly as difficult as they're going to get. I think I can say it that way. They, as time passes, become more intense and more frequent. They happen more often. They get closer together and they get more difficult to deal with. To begin with, they're bad enough. But you get close to the arrival of the baby and they are happening with increased frequency and with increased intensity. So Jesus, speaking about these signs, said, these are the beginnings of sorrows. They're like birth pains. The fact that there is an earthquake, no, that's neither here nor there. The fact that there's a flood or a drought, no, that's not the point. But when you have three 500-year droughts in three years, now you've got to start asking yourself a question. One school shooting is an absolute tragedy, but when they're happening every few months, you say to yourself, what in the world? A terrorist attack, that's one thing. We thought it was terrible when airliners were being hijacked in the 70s. But compared to what we've seen in the last 20 years, that's kind of amateur hour. Jesus said, these are the beginning of sorrows, and that is uh, significant. Oh, I wonder what I did. I did that. These are the beginning of sorrows. How should we feel about this? We've seen this verse already. We look at it again. When these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. If what we are seeing are actually the signs of the times, if what we are seeing are actually the signs of Christ's coming, then it tells us we are near to the end of time. And rather than being doom merchants, we ought to be able to believe that we live in a time of great hope, a serious time. You might even say on some level, a solemn time, but a hopeful time. Now, I don't mean to say you see some tragedy in the world and you say, yay, I don't mean that. But when these things begin to come to pass, you know that your redemption draws near. The return of Jesus is nearer and nearer yet. And so we don't live like those who have no hope. Even when things are troubled and difficult in the world, you have hope because Christ has said, these are signs that he is soon to return. There are other signs mentioned in the Bible. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. You, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Have we seen an increase in knowledge in recent times? Oh, man, have we? You know, I think about my parents' generation. Uh, my parents were dinosaurs. They just were. They were from another era, maybe the Jurassic era. My father didn't understand my music. Dad didn't understand the way we dressed. There was just this generation gap. It was vast. And I said, you know, we're bringing children into the world. And what's so much fun is that there won't be this great difference between us and them like there was between us and our parents. Well, the internet happened. Funny thing, we were in a city where my wife and I used to go years ago, and we were talking about restaurants in the area, just a random conversation. And the kid said, when you used to come here for work events, how did you find restaurant, a restaurant to eat at? And we said, well, we'd come down from our room, we'd come to the reception area at the hotel, and we'd say, have you got any recommendations? And they'd give us a list. And we'd look at the list, and if there's nothing we like, we'd look in the yellow pages. By the time we got to the words yellow pages, my children are looking at each other like their, their parents are 
dinosaurs. They said, why didn't you just Google restaurants in our area? Why didn't you ask Siri? We're having to explain to our children that Google and Siri are actually relatively recent developments. You mean you would go to a restaurant without reading reviews first? Uh, yeah, it's, well, it was a long time ago, kids. It was a long time ago. Have times changed? Man, they've changed. I sat on a plane once. I was flying back from uh, Australia, actually, to Los Angeles. And the guy sitting next to me was a, was, a, was a big shot in the telecommunications industry. The reason he wasn't sitting in first class is because he went standby and they didn't have a first class seat. So I was sitting next to this very high-end, high-end man who owned a professional sports team and all of the rest. I said to him, where is communications going? Tell me where the industry is heading. And he said something really interesting. He said, there is just so much information now. He said, the people who are really going to get ahead of the curve are the people who figure out how to use and make manageable all that information. And what have search engines done? And what has Google done? And, and, and Facebook amassing information, even information that you didn't want them to have. They're amassing. There's just so much information these days. Knowledge has increased. Look on the left of the picture. What you're looking at being loaded into an aircraft is a hard drive from a computer. <laughs> that right there. It is a five megabyte hard drive. You couldn't even write your name in five megabytes, hardly. So this little flash drive next to it, even this is out of date. It has 1,638 times the storage on that little flash drive. My, my phone uh, is, is a large amount of storage on there. On this, I mean, 50,000 times more than, yeah, probably literally 50,000 times more storage on my phone than on that hard drive, which weighed half a ton. Now, this is a generation ago, but the Bible said that knowledge would increase. Now, let me be fair to the text. We ought to be true to the text. I believe the primary application of that text is speaking about spiritual knowledge. Let's consider that. You go back 500 years, you couldn't even get your hands on a Bible. Depending on where you lived, if you had a Bible, you would be put to death, maybe burned at the stake. In fact, I've stood at the spot in Coventry, England, where people were martyred because they had on them the Lord's Prayer written out in handwriting. You're not allowed to have that. We now burn you at the stake. It was quite the time to be alive. But then came the Reformation, and then came Johannes Gutenberg and the printing press, and now the Bible is everywhere. Whereas people didn't have the first clue about the Bible, then now we have seminaries and scholars and Bible commentaries and Bible commentators. Spiritual knowledge has absolutely increased, there's no doubt about it. But secular knowledge has too. Do you remember the olden days? If you really want to mess with the mind of a young kid, Tell that kid that there was a time, if you remember it even better, when in order to see what was on the other channel, the other channel, you had to get up out of your seat, walk across the room, and physically turn the knob to see what was on 
the other channel. Now, the kid is going to say, what do you mean a knob on a TV? TVs had knobs. It was black and white. What? Knowledge has increased. It absolutely has. Today, we have self-driving cars. Well, they claim we're going to have them soon. And the internet and space stations and special effects and, and, and you name it. Knowledge has increased and Jesus himself said that this would be a sign of his impending return. I remember my friend Clayton, my, my friend Clayton and his wife and their little boy, they came to our house and we had a, 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 a relatively long driveway, but not a long driveway. And uh, it was time to do something manly, you know, and so me and Clayton and the little boy piled into his car. We were going to go to the hardware store and buy something that made a loud noise. And we got in the car and he put it in reverse and he backed down the driveway and out into the street and, and a little fella in the back seat in his car seat said, Daddy, are we nearly there yet? <laughs> you consider some of these things that the Bible is saying and consider the world in which we live and I wonder if it's time for us to say, are we nearly there yet? Well, based on what Jesus said, yes, the answer is we are nearly there. And the greatest event ever spoken of in human history since the creation of the world is going to take place. We have every reason to be hopeful. But do consider this warning. It is an important one. Jesus said this, take heed that no one does what? Tell me. Deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. And they will deceive many. Have we seen that in recent years? I remember being in a little town in California. It was a town where Jim Jones had lived and had pastored a church in this little town. It was a town of, I think it was called Redwood Valley, up north of Ukiah, north of San Francisco in northern California. And there was Jim Jones who led his followers to Guyana, 900 of them. And then tragedy occurred. This was a fellow who believed that he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah for them. There are others who claimed to be Christ. Well-known individuals down through time who have led people astray. Now, it's not every day when someone claims to be Christ, you would think that people wouldn't be deceived. But unfortunately, that's just not the case. It's just not the case. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Make it your business to read the Bible. Make it your business to be in touch with God. Make it your business to dig into the word of God so that you will have the assurance that you'll never be deceived, that you'll never be led astray. It must not happen to you. Here we are at a seminar presentation where we gather around the Bible, acknowledging that there's a God. Certainly, we may be at different places in our experience, but we know enough to know that we shouldn't. We mustn't ever be deceived. You don't want to ever let somebody else be your spiritual guide. You don't ever want some spiritual leader of any kind to have the final say in your experience. I certainly don't want that place. You shouldn't afford that to anybody. Let God be your guide. Let the Spirit lead you. Let the Holy Bible be your authority. Now, someone's going to say, how do you expect regular folks to understand this complicated Bible? You know, there are parts of the Bible that certainly do appear to be complicated. Ezekiel wrote some things that will leave you scratching your head. Zechariah did the same. Jesus spoke some challenging sayings. There's nothing hard to understand about love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing difficult about love God with your whole heart. There's nothing difficult about love your enemies. 
at least understanding that. Nothing hard about if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. If you just hung on to the easy things, that is the easy to understand things, you would have well and truly enough to get you from this world into the world to come. Can you say amen to that? You don't need to lose any sleep about the really hard, really challenging things. Study them. You may learn some of them. You might never get to the bottom of some others. But there's enough that's readily accessible and readily understandable that you can easily digest. That would be enough to lead anybody out of this world into the world to come. The Bible speaks about a God who is love. The Bible speaks about Jesus, the Savior of the world who died so that we might live. The Bible speaks about a God who's willing to give you a new heart and a new mind. It was Paul who said that if anyone yields his or her life to Jesus, that person becomes a new creature. The Jesus who changed water to wine is able to change your heart after his uh, the similitude of his heart. It was Jesus who opened the eyes of the blind. It was Jesus who healed the sick. The same Jesus can guide you to walk in a new and a fulfilling life. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And even if you're feeling hopeless tonight, if you're feeling lost tonight, if you feel as though you don't have direction tonight, God can provide that for you. If you look at the Bible and you say, too much for me, oh no, God can guide you in that. If you say, how can I understand that? You know that God can guide you in that. It is important. The signs all tell us that Jesus is coming back soon. How soon, John? Soon. How soon? Can you do better? I can do better. Very soon. Would you like to put a date on it? No. No. You know, the interesting thing is if you believe Jesus is coming back soon and you are wrong, no harm done. No harm done. If knowing that Jesus or believing that Jesus is coming back soon spurs you to be ready for eternity, then it's had a good effect on your life, not a bad effect at all. But we do believe Jesus is coming back and we believe he's coming back soon because the signs tell us. They tell us that we are living in earth's last days, which means that we ought to be preparing for the fulfillment of the prophecies in the book of Revelation. Now, we've come a long way. A long, we've come a long way in this world. When I was in high school, and uh, I never thought that this would date me, but uh, you know, I suppose it is dating me. When I was in high school, we had a maid in school. He, he left a little bit early, and he got a job with the post office. His job was delivering telegrams. Now, that sounds like I'm talking about something of 100 years ago, but it's really not that long. It was shortly after that that the post office phased out telegrams, and he had to move on to something else. But remember that age? Telegrams were sent. Curious, isn't it? People began to rely on them less and less. Do you remember when you had people who walked around with pages on their belt? Someone told me recently that there are still some people who use them. Uh, that mystifies me, but maybe it's important in some certain circumstances. We're living in such an age that people used to have blackberries, and now they're obsolete. We're talking about something five or six years ago that's now obsolete. So we've gone from telegrams... I guess to telephones and then to pages and then to cell phones and to texting and Instagram and Snapchat and whatever else. 
There are so many ways to send and receive messages these days. So many ways. But one thing I want to encourage you to do is this. Whether it's social media, whether it's cell phone, remember that God has sent a message to you from beyond the stars. The God of heaven has spoken to us from his word. He's given us the Holy Bible, and he has said, there's plenty in here. Study this. Know this. If there's any message that you ought to get today, it's the one that says Jesus is coming back soon. So look up and lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. The signs are telling us he's on his way, shortly to be on his way. So this would mean if you talk about the mark of the beast or the image to the beast or Armageddon or the other apocalyptic prophecies, it must mean that they are going to be fulfilled sooner. We are on this earth at an important time in earth's history. It's a time for faith and trust. It's a time for the Bible to be front and center. It's a time to be living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You've heard of this ship. It was well over 100 years ago now that the Titanic set sail from Southampton, England to New York City, New York. And in spite of the fact that the Titanic received multiple warning messages, every one of those warning messages was ignored, every one, until suddenly an iceberg appeared right there in the path of the Titanic, and there was a bump and a scrape and a 300-foot-long gash, and the Titanic ended up sinking to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, and so many people perished. In more recent times, something similar a cruise ship was operating in the waters off an island just off the northwest Italian coast or the west Italian coast. So here's what happened. It was dinner time and the people were being seated and there was a jolt. Passengers said, what was that? The crew said, oh, nothing, don't worry about it. An electrical fault, that's all. What had happened is the ship had hit rocks. But they didn't tell the crew. Wait, let me say that again. The ship had hit rocks, but they didn't tell the passengers. They had not yet conducted the mandatory evacuation drill. So no one knew what to do. It was pandemonium. When they realized the ship was sinking, listing, about to roll over on its side, folks didn't know what to do. It was a mad dash. Numerous people died. The experts say many of them would not have died if the Costa Concordia had followed some basic protocols and if the captain and crew had not tried to assure the passengers that everything was okay when everything was not. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, nothing to be alarmed about. Don't worry about a thing. All the while, the ship is taking on water and sinking. Jesus speaks to us tonight and he's not asking us to panic and he's not asking us to make a mad dash. He is asking us to recognize that the ship is taking on water, that slowly but surely planet Earth is sinking. Thankfully, there's a way of escape. Thankfully, there's a way out. There's a life raft. That life raft is Jesus. There is a way from this world to the world to come. That way is Jesus. He called himself the way, the truth, and the life. Everywhere you turn, you see signs indicating that time is running out. The final sands are passing through the hourglass of time. Don't be doom and gloom. 
Don't be glum. Don't be bitter. Don't be scared. Be hopeful. Jesus shared the signs with us. We see them in the world tonight. The good news is Jesus is coming back soon. Can you say amen?